You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome, friends and neighbors. It's so good to be with you today. Thank you for taking this time for us to worship God together. If you're a neighbor, if you're new to FIRST and you want to connect with us and make a personal connection, feel free to call us at 505-294-0630. You can even send us a text message with the word NEW in your name and we'd be glad to reach out to you. It may be hard to believe, but our family has been with your family for the last nine months. Can you believe it? A lot has happened in nine months. We moved here a little bit early where I was still wrapping up some work So I've actually been preaching for a little bit more than eight months, but so much has happened. We've hired a new associate minister in Jimmy, who began in the fall, and we've just recently hired our new full-time youth minister, Gerald, who's finishing up his work in Stamford, Texas, with the public school system, and will be with us on Memorial Day. It's hard to imagine all the transition of this year, or even to think what is going through Gerald's mind as he moves to a new state, a new city, and to begin his work during this time. In fact, as we think about all the transitions, we've been doing this for the last eight weeks. And we began and we didn't have equipment, we didn't have experience in this, but we had people with great skills and with sheer willpower that have made this work quite well. There's been a lot of things I've had trouble wrapping my heart around. Some of you know that my father was diagnosed with stage four cancer that's spread to his bones and to his lymphatic system. And he's begun chemo treatments. And I want you to know that he's doing well. This past week he had his second chemo infusion and he's of course tired, but he's taking to the chemo well and his numbers are going down, which is a good thing. You know, as I think about our beginning with you and some of the things that are in this old letter, if a book or if a letter or if a movie began something like this, now our coming to you was not a total failure, what would you think? Would you believe it? You know, our coming, it's not a failure, it was not a mistake, it was not foolish or fruitless or in vain or ineffective. Would you think, hmm, really? Tell me a little bit more. In these times that we've been going through of great uncertainty, where it seems like we're constantly having to learn things, where we're on this difficult learning curve, a time of confusion, I find that it's helpful to hang on to the big things, the big realities of what we know to be true and what we know to be real. I mean, when we think about all that's changed, there's a lot that hasn't changed. The sun is still rising every morning in the east and setting in the west. The mountains in Albuquerque still tower over us, unmoved, unshaken in the east. The trees are blooming. The flowers are blooming. The birds are flying and animals are on the move. Spring is here. There's so much that can't be shut down. And even the fear that we have of death. That's not a newsflash. We all must face our death in time, and we all must face that reality. So it's in these type times of uncertainty when we hang on to the big things, and we let our minds, our reason, 
our rationality, tell our bodies what to do, to dictate our action. And we do our best to protect that those among us that are the most vulnerable and those that might need the most protection. Our series that we've been going through is called What Now? As we ask that question that was asked by a group of people early on where they were separated from one another, they were put into places where they were alone, they felt a strong sense of fear and abandonment, and they didn't quite have the formation and the training that they wanted. All of the plans that they had laid just weren't working out as they intended. And this, this writing that we're looking at is the oldest written document that we have today closest to Jesus. This little letter the letter of 1 Thessalonians, written by Paul. Paul, who was this leader who told stories about Jesus before those stories were even written down into Gospels. Stories about Jesus' life and his death, his burial and his resurrection. And we've been asking this question, what now? Well, in our text today, I start to wonder if Paul really is a preacher. And as you hear it, you might see that other people are wondering whether or not Paul is a preacher. My reason is a little different. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with this message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God as our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. Though we might have made a demand as an apostle of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become so dear to us. Now I hear this and I think Paul may not be a preacher because he doesn't tell the preacher's story. He says, now you know about the suffering that we endured in Philippi. Now that's an opportunity for Paul to tell a great story and he doesn't do it. Last week as we learned about these Thessalonians, we heard about their own suffering, about how they risked their own lives, put their necks on the lines to protect Paul and Silas from the government officials and to help them escape in the darkness of night. But Paul tells them about the city that he came from just before he arrived at Thessalonica. And the story goes like this. They show up into town and they go to a river, a place where people pray. And they found a group of women praying and they began meeting with them and telling them stories about Jesus. And the women were responsive. It's kind of a strange setup. A group of men from out of town show up to hang around some women down by the river who were praying. Well, one day as they head back into town, a, a child slave, a young girl, approaches them. 
And this girl, her job was to tell the future. She had a spirit in her that allowed her to predict the future. And her owners, her slave owners, would, would uh, make money off of this. I don't know exactly what it would look like if they put her in a tent and said, your fortune told, but she would predict the future. And so she comes to Paul and to Silas and she says, these people are servants of the Most High God. They are teaching a way of salvation. And Paul turns and casts the spirit out of the young girl. So now she's only a girl. She's not able to predict the future. She might be good for labor and service and maybe things that we wouldn't even want to talk about, but predicting the future, that novel way of making money, was gone. And so an economic riot ensues. I know we can't imagine this, but people riot because their ability to make money is thwarted. What happens to Paul and Silas is that they're stripped of all their clothes, they're beaten with rods, and then they're not taken to the prison hospital. No, they're taken to the innermost cell of the jail, locked up in this inner jail, and their feet are bound inside of the prison. And so what do you do? Well, they started praying and singing. Really? Now prayer, I could, I could hear some prayers that maybe we might pray of complaining to God, of God, get me out of here. But singing... This level of worship, this is a calling upon God in the middle of the night that is to be lauded. Talk about a bad day. Well, it gets worse. In the middle of the night, an earthquake hits the jail. It not only tears down the walls, making it, making it possible for them to escape, but it breaks off the chains that are on them, and they can leave. The soldier in the middle of the night that's guarding them realizes that all of the prisoners probably have escaped and he is about to stab himself and commit suicide. But Paul and Silas stop him. Okay, now if Paul is a real preacher, he's going to be telling that story. Do you remember the time about when we had the riot and when we were beaten and thrown in the innermost jail? and when we had the earthquake, and we stopped that guy from committing suicide. But he doesn't tell that story. He doesn't talk about his Roman citizenship. He doesn't try to escape suffering. And he orchestrates an apology from the government officials that helps solidify the Christians in that city. In this passage, Paul doesn't even claim his role as an apostle. He could have told these great preacher stories, and he doesn't. Because what he's doing is he's connecting with the Thessalonians. The suffering that they've been through because of Paul and Silas and Timothy is a suffering that Paul and Silas and Timothy have also shared. They have been there before, they have been there after, and it will happen many more times. They are in this thing together. Their suffering is shared. Well, I want to know where this courage comes from. Is there some elixir that allows them to have this level of strength, of commitment? After all, these are baby Christians. They're not more than a month old when all of this happens. And yet they're babies that have bulked up to a level of commitment that's laudable. Right now, we find ourselves complaining about all kinds of things. Having to wait for curbside food 
or having to wait not just a few days for Amazon Prime, but a few weeks, or having to face stores that are closed or lines that are long outside of those stores. In these times of uncertainty, we hang on to the larger truths. We hang on to the bigger realities and we reach out for what is bigger than us. When lies are rampant or when half-truths are, are many, we go back to the basics. We've got a house or an apartment. And even if we don't have a house or an apartment, we have the ground that we can lay on. We ground ourselves in these simple things where we're taken care of and we reach out to the one who is bigger than us, the God who created us, who made us, who gives us life. The God who created all of this and didn't ask us to run it all. God is in charge of running it. This is God's work. God's the source of Paul's courage and Silas and the Thessalonians. In verse 2 of, of chapter 2, that is the reason that they're able to declare this message is because their courage is in and comes from God. It's not a superpower strength. It's not some powdered strength shake that they're drinking. This comes from God, the source of their resolve. In fact, the message is not even their message. They don't claim ownership of the message. This is God's message in verse 2 and verse 4. Further, their intent is not to please themselves or to please others, but to please God. Their aim for approval is the approval of God. Now, as a side note, people-pleasing is pretty tricky business. In fact, it's deadly. It can be tiresome. It's a no-win game. Because whenever you begin to be good, people don't expect good. They want excellent. And whenever you're excellent, people want superior. People-pleasing is a no-win game. In fact, people-pleasing might seem to be godly, but people-pleasing is not pleasing God. Whenever we're just trying to please a parent or to please a boss or a customer, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're pleasing God. When we're constantly catering to a child to please that child or even our worst critic, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're pleasing God. In a way, we're trying to please ourselves. We're trying to live inside of the approval of other people, that their praise and their affirmation of us somehow validates us. That's not pleasing to God. The approval that you need the approval that we all need is, the God's, is God's approval. That God made us, that God loves us deeply, and that God wants to live in us. That approval is our identity, and it is enough for us. You know, the main point of this section, if I were to find just one verse to help us zero in on what is being communicated, it would be verse 8. Let's read it again. So deeply do we care for you that we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Paul and his leadership team 
are certainly sharing the good news of the gospel. And they're also sharing their very lives. The image that's given in the verse just ahead is of a mother nursing a child. That is an intimate connection where the mother provides the nourishment and support for the infant. And I want to talk about that maybe some more next week. But in this case, what we see from Paul is that this is a message that comes not only with their lips, it's not only something they say, but it is something that they live. They share their very lives. And the word there is suke or psyche. It's that innermost self. What it is that makes us who we are, that vital power or breath. In fact, if you look into the history of this word, it refers to the neck or the throat, the place where the breath comes from. In Romans chapter 16, it's said that, the, that people put their necks on the line for Paul, their very lives on the line for Paul. They are sharing together something very significant, and it's suffering. The Thessalonians' suffering, Paul and Silas and Timothy's suffering, is all compared to and connected with the very suffering of Jesus Christ, who was beaten and who died on a cross. Paul and Silas will never forget, however it was that these Christians hid them, because their very lives were in the hands of the Thessalonians. Their breath was in the hands of the Thessalonians. As Jason and his household and the other Christians took care of them, they provided a message that wasn't just of word, but it was of lifestyle. Well, another place to focus here in this verse is with this gospel. And I know that Christians use the word gospel a lot, and we sometimes overlook it. And if you look through this letter, it's sometimes hard to find where the gospel is. This message that should be simple and should be straightforward. And for us, as Christians today, it may not have quite the electricity or the explosion as it once did. It doesn't seem as innovative, the, the word gospel. But here, we're not to assume that the gospel is all of the material that's in the gospels. They weren't written down yet. We're not to assume that the gospel is everything in the New Testament or all that Christians believe or all of church tradition or anything that a denomination believes. Although all of those things do point from and arise from the gospel, this gospel is a message of God. If you look back through chapter 2, you'll see that in verse 2, it's called the gospel of God. And then in verse 8, the gospel of God. And in verse 9, the gospel of God shows up four times. Even in verse 4 is the fourth place where it just simply says gospel. This is great that in this oldest document, it's pointing to the origin of this gospel as coming from God. And it's certainly about Jesus. Jesus, the one who's recognized in verse 1 of chapter 1 as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord or Master. He's Jesus, which was his given name, meaning God saves. And he's Christ, which is not his last name. Christ is the word for king, the Messiah, the one who lives and rules over us. In verse 9 and 10, we also are reminded again about this gospel that Jesus is the Son of God 
and he's the resurrected Son of God. This identity of God helps us get at what the gospel is. That Jesus came and he lived and he died and he's resurrected and remains through the Holy Spirit with us. Trinity is a word that Christians often use and believe it or not, it's kind of rare to see God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the same verse. But here in chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, they're all in very close proximity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This gospel is not meant to be complicated. This gospel is about what was handed on to Paul, this life of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Well, we've talked about a lot today, but I want to bring us back to a big reality, something simple that we can do. Something that might seem small, but it is the biggest sustaining thing for our life. So here's a little riddle for you. What is it about you that can't be seen or seen very easily at all? What, if taken away from you, will cause you to cease to exist? What's something that you can hold on to, but not with your hands? What's something that you're constantly taking, but also giving away? You got any guesses? It's your breath. Your breath. You're breathing in and you're breathing out. It nourishes you provides oxygen that's taken into your lungs and put into your bloodstream, that nourishes your organs with nutrients, that enlivens your muscles and allows you to move. One big reality that might seem like a small reality is taking time to breathe, to take a deep breath in and to breathe out. Taking in fresh air to nourish life, to stretch your lungs like exercise is so good at doing. Expanding the capacity of your lungs. And then releasing that used air, exhaling it all the way down to the very last bit of oxygen is expressed. One of my favorite smells is rain. To breathe in the smell of the air after it's rained, to let that hit our nostrils and fill our lungs. It enlivens our hearts as our lungs expand around our organ. There are times when we need to take control by taking control of our breath, taking a deep breath, holding that breath and releasing it gently, paying attention to this thing that goes on all the time without any effort from us. God gives us our very breath. God is like breath, like spirit, like wind. You know, it was hard to believe all that we've been through. And it's been funny to talk to some of you who apologize and say, oh, I just can't believe that your first few months have been like this. You know, there's always something. I can't believe that this is your first Easter to have to be separated from the group of Christians. And yes, those things are significant. But you know, we've all faced difficult things over these few months. Very hard deaths, very difficult diagnosis, diseases that we're fighting together. But we are looking to God 
We are holding on to these bigger realities. Our sense of what is strong and powerful is altered from those that are fearful around us because we are hanging on to the reality of God. Well, I hope this message is a breath of fresh air for you. And if you need someone to talk to, if you need to reach out to us, and you don't know our phone number, it's 505-294-0630. We would love to hear from you. In fact, even if you just want to text the word new in your name, we'd be happy to reach out to you. You can submit your prayer requests on our website at firstabq slash prayers. And remember, also, if you're new and you just want to know more about First Christian, this today, this afternoon, at 3 o'clock, we'll be having our First Steps Google Hangout. And you can register for that on the Events tab of our webpage. Let's pray. God, our breath is in you. Our life is in you. And we thank you for providing us the strength that we need for this day. Would you help us to hold on to the bigger realities? To let go of the many things that we can't control. And to trust that our future, when it is with you, is secure. We pray this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen.